Welcome to another edition of Eusebius on Times Live. And my guest in this episode is William Gumere, who writes for Arena Holdings, as I do, is a regular on the pages of the Sunday Times in particular. And of course, William is well known as a South African analyst and author and academic, and specifically associate professor at the School of Governance at the University of Witwatersrand. He's written many papers and books over the years, most recently, Restless Nation, Making Sense of Troubled Times. Now, the reason I asked him to come on, other than the fact that William is always thoughtful, is that William had written an article that I think is really worth discussing in the Sunday Times a couple of weeks ago, in which he essentially argued that a key interpretation of the local government elections is that you and I as voters were voting for coalitions. Simple proposition, interesting, and he teased it out. Enters Mavuso Msumang, and he writes a critique saying that William has got it completely wrong, that actually there could have been different circumstances if the voting turnout had been different, and traditional ANC voters bothered to actually go and vote, and then the results could have looked very differently. And in the next set of elections, argues Mavuso, the ANC, the EFF, and the DA may well end up doing better, and so as he said to me on a podcast that's worth listening to, the one that I released a couple of days ago, um, he thinks that uh, William Gumere is engaging in, quote-unquote, intellectual paucity, which is quite an accusation to make. And in a country where the discourse in terms of the debates between commentators can be quite tame, um, that's quite energetic language to use from one thinker to another. You're listening to Eusebius on Times Live. That's this latest podcast on Times Live. And it's me, Eusebius McKaiser, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're going to hear a lot of law, politics and ethics, how they intersect and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans. When people saw their children must know these are sellouts. They put saliva on the paper. Mr. Julius Malema whispered and said, sing it, sing it. And then they shared that zone. No, I'm not going to apologize. Can I have my iPad, please? So they stole it. William, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, let's get straight into it. The main gripe that Mavuso had with your analysis is that he thinks that no one really knows the reasoning and the motivations of voters, and therefore we should be careful what we ascribe to voters when we try and make sense of why they voted the way they did. Does he have a point? Uh, you know, I my response to that is, you know, um, the voters voted in the way they voted, and that is important that we respect that. Um, and that's, you know, that's in real time. We cannot uh, live in wistful, uh, you know, with a wistful perspective. We've got um, the voters voted. And now how do we respect it? So the way the voters voted, clearly they voted for a coalition. I mean, that was the outcome. And then now how do we bring the maturity amongst our political players who are there to put together coalitions 
of their work. And the second thing uh, for me is, or, or even more important for me, is really our country, the, one of the world's most diverse societies on earth, um, coalitions are more fit for purpose for our kind of politics. And I think that's my main argument. And, and, and really, um, we've had now um, three decades of really monopoly politics, where the ANC has been a monopoly, a dominant party. And, and that sort of politics haven't worked for us. And clearly, if we look at um, the level of states, um, public service delivery, um, corruption, and lack of accountability, the indifference, um, and so on. Um, whereas I think that uh, a diversity of coalitions, whether at national, provincial, or local level, will work better uh, for us, and we have to come to terms with it. And perhaps I, my argument is that for you know, for the rest of our future, it is very likely a coalition politics is going to be the way of politics in South Africa. Okay, there are different parts to that argument. And one part is what voters want, what voters were intending to signal. A separate part is what exactly is the configuration of our municipalities after the tally of the votes have been completed and verified. And then the next step in the analysis is if we play the movie forward, what the future portends at provincial and national level. We'll come to categories two and three, but it's the first one somewhat nerdishly, but I think interestingly that as I read him is where Mavuso took issue with what you had to say. And I do think it's important to spend time there because there's some useful little bits of sparring we can do about analysis, both academically and also in terms of the role of the columnist, the role of the public thinker. When the voter goes to vote and makes a cross next to Action SA, let's say, in Jersey, uh, William, rather than ANC, we don't know, unless we ask them, whether they love Herman Mashaba or whether they hate the ANC now. We don't know whether they want the ANC to be humbled into rethinking itself again or whether they've abandoned the ANC now completely. So there's a cluster of questions there about reasons for the vote, motivations for the vote, that one can't answer unless you actually do, at a bare minimum, exit poll interviews and more substantially proper social scientific research, even if it's after the fact, to understand why voters vote the way they do. Or would you agree that we help ourselves to assumptions about what is in the head of the voter just based on the cross, but actually we, we shouldn't do that? Um, I think, you know, it is the role of, of, of a columnist to go beyond that, to also make the kind of assumptions and, and make, you know, obviously reasons uh, based on the circumstances, based on the environment. So, um, and, and, and having said that, really what it was very clear to me is that the voters, um, um, the outcome, so to us, that clearly, you know, enough voters um, do not want to see the ANC anymore in power. Uh, and that's a very important. Yes, the ANC is still the majority party. We've got a 45%, but clearly we are now um, along, I think, a trajectory um, where people are now beginning 
um, to vote for new parties. Um, and, and, and I would compare to many of the other liberation movements, sort of after three decades, because what happens normally, if you have a very dominant liberation movement with the people's support in the past because of loyalty, because of, you know, the struggle credentials, what happens, uh, by sort of the third decade, you get, um, at least two new generations, uh, begin to vote, um, now that haven't voted, uh, before and who have experienced, um, that liberation movement. Um, as a party in government, not as a party um, of the past. So, I mean, that's what we're getting. And then the second thing that happens, um, we've seen, we also see a lot of breakaways. Uh, sort of the first part, normally, um, after um, um, decline of a dominant uh, liberation movement, is the initial breakaways are often really from the party itself. And then you get a new generation of political parties, and that's where we are now. The X and eight South Africa's of this world, uh, are parties who were not necessarily part um, of the former liberation uh, movement. Even so, that's what we've seen at this elections at a local level. And we also, the entry uh, that we've seen also as a local level of people who've, some people who've never been in politics before, never been part of the ANC, and never been in other political parties in many cases. So you've got a combination of these three things. And then you still have sort of fortly loyal voters and members who remain with the party. Uh, and hoping and uh, still believing, many of them believing in the party and others who are, cannot vote for other parties because they think it's a sellout because you know, they're very loyal. So that's where we are now. So you get this sort of almost transitional period. Um, and then what happens if, if we look at the history, the African history often is the very next election, uh, the governing party is totally out at the national level. So, you, you, you know, the decline starts at the local level, then it's out. So we formed is almost really almost a repeat of what we've seen in Zambia, a repeat of what we've seen in Cape Verde with the PIGC. Um, it, it, it really mimics um, um, the sort of thing. And also what we've seen in Algeria, what we've seen um, in Zimbabwe. And of course, in Zimbabwe, uh, the ZANU PF didn't want to take losing and they, you know, almost you know, um, uh, re recaptured uh, a power through devious means. And in Algeria, um, there was a coup. William, I, it sounds to me like you're sort of ignoring my question, um, and I'm not going to flog a dead horse. Um, I think it's an interesting question, not from me, but via the discussion between you and Mavuso. So what I am also interested in, which we can do in a minute, is doing what you, you've been doing in your answers, which is to look at those comparative political lessons to be learned from other post-liberation movements that started on a post-liberation governance journey earlier than the African National Congress, what the markers are of decline, how they tend to behave, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, all of that is well and good, and I think that's really important. And of course, a lot of your, your work and excellent work is in that kind of field um, in terms of helping us understand those comparative lessons from around the region and then elsewhere um, in, in countries that have particularly colonial histories. Um, but from a methodology point of view, if we want to ask a narrow question and answer it, why does Eusebius vote the way he did? How do you go about answering that question, whether as an academic or as a columnist? I mean, of course, that's very difficult, you know, unless you do a survey. Um, and so, so I mean, to come back to you, I don't want to run away <laughs> from your question. Um, of course, I mean, um, what we now need to do um, to really corroborate the kind of analysis I'm doing or other people are doing is to say, let's do some of the exit um, surveys around it. This is what's happening now. This is what people are now doing. 
up so we get a better, more detailed sense mm. of why do people vote the way they've done. Now, for now, anecdotally, and that is what a column is all about, one does a column, or I do a column, is essentially because, you know, the, the exciting thing about columns is it is sort of live. You, you, you write your analysis on a live situation. And then, you know, a couple of months down the line, once uh, we've done the surveys and those sort of things comes out, I may be totally wrong. I may be totally, something totally um, um, different. I mean, that really is uh, 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 um, both the excitement and both uh, also at the same time the challenge uh, um, mm. of it. So I think... Um, Based really on uh, on the analysis right now on the ground, why do people? And anecdotally, uh, my view essentially is I mean to to respond to Mabusu uh, um, is that um, people voted, and the outcome that we got is the outcome for coalitions, and then we have to work with that. Um, we cannot try to work with something else because that that is the outcome. People may not have, when they voted out there and they were angry with the ANC or they wanted to vote for new, for new players, in their mind, they didn't call for a coalition, but the outcome came out as, as, as coalition politics. And what I'm saying is that outcome actually is not a terrible outcome. For me, that's a good outcome because that outcome actually fits our politics better. I agree with you about the challenge of writing into the moment as a columnist, and we'll bracket that out and, and stick to the substantive issues. I also think that Mavuso, ironically enough, commits the very error that he accuses you of in his response, and I'll share that with you in a second. But let's talk about coalitions and whether they are a good thing or a bad thing. The other major issue he took with your analysis was to say that actually, if you look at examples like what happened a couple of years ago in Nelson Mandela Bay, that actually, and <laughs> it took a dig at you being very presumptuous, by the way, that you had not read um, How to Steal a City by Crispin Olfer. That is a very good example of the kind of gross theft that we're all familiar with across the country. But that particular book was a st case study of what happened in Port Elizabeth. And cut a long story short, Mavuso is suggesting that actually the very case studies that you are citing are examples of how unstable coalitions can be. And so he thought that it was very weird that you should have so much optimism in the idea of coalitions being uh, stable potential formations. I mean, ironically, I mean, to, to respond to you, um, you know, I'm a principal author of the State of the Cities, the 2016 State of the Cities report that comes out every five years. Yes. That looks at all of the metros, uh, you know, over five years, uh, using government data, government state, uh, um, stats. I mean, it's a government, uh, um, um, report. And I was the principal also again of this report, of the 2021 mm -hmm. report. Uh, and I actually looked specifically in the last five years. I'm looking at the metros and Nelson Mandela Bay was you know, one of the case studies used. Uh, the report was supposed to be out in the public now. It'll be out in a, mm -hmm. a couple of, couple of weeks. Uh, and so public report, we look at the last five years, uh, we look at the metros, we analyze the stats coming from the metros themselves and coming from, from state entities. So I get, I do have a very good sense of, uh, you know, where many of the metros are. Now, um, the reason why I am optimistic that even if you look at 2016, because people say the period after 2016, all of the coalitions, will, you know, most of them fail. Actually, that's not the case. We've seen some spectacular cases of failures, like Nelson Mandela Bay, which is you know, spectacular. It's been in the public eye. 
um, Johannesburg Metro in the public eye, um, its failures of Swanep also. But there's been a whole lot of other metros far out of the public eye that actually been working. Even here close to Johannesburg, Ukuraleni, I mean, it's been, it's been a function, it was a functional coalition. Many of the small towns, um, KwaZulu Natal in the Midlands, and many of those also, um, in the Western Cape, um, you know, those small towns have actually been working on coalitions. So, you know, if we exclude the three big failures that's always in the media, um, and we look at the other ones, they've actually worked. And then, and, and that really is, um, the basis of, of my argument. And then we had some successes even prior to 2016 of, of really successful coalitions um, at the local level. So the failures, and, the, and and yes, there are big failures, I think should not make us negative, the coalitions cannot work. Yeah, I absolutely think that you are, that you are spot on. One can play example, table tennis with that. At any rate, I, I, I want to make one last point about him and then leave him aside, um, even though the main purpose of this recording is to engage him. Um, I think the one part of his article that I thought, and I did put this to him in my recording with him in the previous episode uh, of, of this podcast series, is that he helps himself to empirical assumptions also when he says that the low voter turnout is an important constraint on your analysis in the sense that many ANC supporters did not go and vote. But of course, the assumption there, isn't it, William, is that if more people had gone to vote, let's imagine voting was legally compulsory, that the ones who would have gone to vote are loyal ANC voters that wouldn't have abandoned ship. But again, Mavuso himself is being presumptuous about what would have happened in the voting booth with a voter that didn't vote if they had gone to vote. No, no, absolutely. I mean, that, that, that's the thing because we don't know if the voters who stayed at home, um, uh, because clearly they, either they were despondent, angry, um, mm. with, um, mm. uh, uh, with the ANC, um, would they have gone, say, for example, if it was a compulsory voting, like it would be in, in, in some other countries, mm. would they have gone for the ANC? They may have gone and gone both for another party and maybe that other party actually. Uh, um, it would have gotten the majority. I mean, there's still, you, you, you know, our problem remains, I guess, in the country that uh, we have to look at is that, I mean, if all of those voters who stayed away, if they had voted for another party, these local elections, their party would have won. I mean, that really exactly. is, uh, is the crisis <laughs> of our democracy. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. on. And, and, and that is, I mean, a Democracy Works Foundation where, um, We've been looking at options, maybe making proposals to the ISC, maybe did it before in 2016, of saying maybe we should add something to the ballot, uh, an option where you don't vote for any other party. So, um, so you, you go there, you're dissatisfied with your own party, you don't want to vote for any other parties, but then you vote, you know, there's a box and you say, well, I'm dissatisfied with all political parties. Um, and this is my dissatisfaction vote. Mm. And then we also count it up. And we get a sense of the level of dissatisfaction in political parties and democracy. You know, that's an important point. I had lots of debates leading up to the elections with my readers and with friends and then social media followers about whether or not staying away intentionally is useful, whether it's better marginally if you are hurtful to go and vote but spoil your ballot or if there was an option to say none of the above, to have that option and to put a cross there. 
And I've got a very dreadfully simple, but I haven't yet come across compelling reason to change my simple view on this, William, and give me your, your take, that not voting is not really instrumentally useful because you're not going to stop a government being formed, a municipality being formed. So you may as well have a say in determining, if you want to be negative in your framing, who the least bad will be amongst the choices. And marginally better if you don't want to make a positive choice next to a party's name or a candidate's name, go and spoil your ballot because we are less likely to misinterpret the meaning of a spoiled ballot than the endless possibilities for why you didn't go to the voting booth. So you can help us know that you actively decided you hate the choices available to you by spoiling your ballot. But um, the problem with, with spoiling your ballot or having an option that says none of the above or not going to vote at all is the following, in my view, that we, we, we assume generously that all the political parties that are active play in our body politic are capable of being shamed and will really turn themselves around in terms of their leadership quality and their offering to you and me as voters if the biggest winner in the election is none of the above. But I don't know whether our politicians and our political parties have got enough ethical decency to be shamed. I mean, you know, uh, not voting is, of course, also a political, it's a political action. It's a, you know, it's a form of protest. Um, I don't agree mm. with that form of protest, but it is an important uh, form of protest in the South African context. I'll tell you. Uh, um, and so I, I think, unfortunately, many South Africans who are disillusioned uh, about the ANC and about their government do think that vote, that uh, protesting on the streets, uh, is more effective than actually going to the polling and voting for another party. And it's, it's also something mm. to do with how we do voter education or how we not do any voter education. Um, yes. I mean, the whole thing, the, the magic about voting is that not just because you can vote for your party. And I think that's what people, um, that's what many people think. That while well, voting is about, I'm voting for my own party, and that is that right to vote for my party. But the magic of voting is actually the right that you can vote against your own party in order to make your own party mm -hmm. accountable. Now that has gone missing in all mm -hmm. of the voting education programs. Uh, you, you know, the idea is is uh, tactical and strategic voting, and it is more to voting than just voting for your own party. So I think, I think going back, and I know the ISC is really most probably not set up to do voter education. I think what they most seemingly uh, do is just the process of holding the election rather than voting education. So we have to start to think in a country, where do we do this voting education? Because the political parties, we would love them to do voter education, but they're not going to do tell the supporters, well, don't vote for us if you're unhappy with us. Mm -hmm. But for another party, mm -hmm. I mean, that's not what they're going to do. So who's going to do that? Um, so civil society organizations, I mean, haven't been in the space, unfortunately. Um, we've seen a drop in voter education. No one is doing a voter or very few uh, organizations are doing voter education. It's not happening in the schools because the exciting mm -hmm. thing would have been if we have this sort of voting early on at the school level where the idea can be inculcated mm -hmm. to people that, well, actually, you know, voting is not just about voting for your own party. Voting is actually you can vote against a party, parties you least like or you don't like or 
you know, all the different kind of permeations mm-hmm. in order to hold your own preferred party or leader um, um, accountable. So, I mean, in a nutshell, we really have will have to get, I think, out of the the kind of culture in the country where people think it is more powerful to protest in the street rather than vote against um, uh, and so on. And that's why people are also staying away uh, or, you know, they don't vote because it's almost like uh, protest that way rather than using the vote actually more actively. I think that's right. And I think that vote education is crucial. I do think the ISC can expand its role, demand more resources for it, and articulate that role in a way that's apolitical, that doesn't make it susceptible to criticism that it is getting involved in politics per se. I'm totally on board with that, William. I mean, a last question related to what I was just saying. I I, I suppose what I like about what you're saying is that you are putting something on the table, you're optimistic, and you're not being fatalistic. And I think those postures are critical for our democracy, for any of us as as active citizens to, to adopt and to insist on those actions then playing out to make sure our democracy keeps going from from good to 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 stronger and then hopefully one day to great. But a skeptical question I've got to ask as a as a host is as an accountability mechanism, how effective voting can be, even with voting edu- voter education as you are describing it. I wonder whether Lutuli House really is capable of self-examining deeply if it keeps on doing poorly at the, I mean, I would really hope so, if it keeps on doing poorly in the elections. But it just seems to me that we've got a deep political culture and leadership crisis. And um, I just wonder what the list of things are that needs to be done and where in the system broadly construed in order to turn that around beyond um, try, you know, seeing elections as a, and I'm not saying you're doing this, but seeing elections as a silver bullet. We, we've got a deeper problem here, not just on the side of the, the voters and us using our power maximally, but also in terms of the offering. Our political parties don't seem to care much about being responsive to the critiques. I, I think, you know, you, you've hit the nail. Uh, I mean, it's like, very, our political parties firstly are not responsive. I mean, across the board. I mean, if you just look at, I mean, we've got mm. some political parties been around for a very long time. They get the same voter, mm. uh, uh, or lesser and lesser over time, but there's no introspection to say, well, you know what? Is it still worthwhile actually to have this political party? Should we just close up or what else should we do? Mm. Um, I mean, and it's, it's not mm. only the ANC. The ANC is particularly, I mean, if you look, Unfortunately, you know, last couple of weeks, if you have a look at the ANC, their response has been very unresponsive. It's been very defensive. It's been denial, all yeah. sorts of excuses. I mean, they're not actually doing a, 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 a deep dive and say, what did we do wrong and how did we change? So I fear mm-hmm. um, in two years' time, they would have done nothing because they would have blamed everyone else. I mean, they blamed the SABC. Um, uh, yeah. You know, um, they blamed uh, Sol Ramaphosa. Uh, they, you know, there's all sorts of excuses, but they don't look at, I mean, there's been no, very little public service delivery, the corruption that's been going on, um, you know, the just uncaring attitudes of leaders. None of those things are discussed. And the quality of the leaders, um, you, you know, those sort of mm-hmm. things are not discussed. But opposition parties are also the same. I mean, I haven't seen from the DA, for example, I haven't seen introspection 
in terms of, you know, are they, where do they want to, want to go? Do they want to remain at the sort of where they are now? Do they want to be a bigger party? What do they need to do? Why do people leave them? Um, and, you know, why is there a decline? Absolutely. So there, there isn't that sort of thing. Mm. And then there's a, the other element is also we have to think about maybe the offering of the parties that we have, you know, the offering that we've got, are they fit for purpose for the population, what the population mm. wants? So we've got all of these parties mm. and we've got many of them, but are they fit for purpose? Are they useful? Um, where, and, and we've now seen even some of the new parties where people create these parties as a meal ticket. Not really as a as mm. as a political party to deliver for people or to you know, with any mission. I mean, yeah. it's just as a, it's just a ticket, um, an income tickets, uh, and so on. So we got yeah. a, a large number of those kind of parties, and and maybe that is another debate that we have must have as society. Um, other parties, the traditional parties we have, are they relevant? Are their leadership relevant? Are they offering the policies? Is it relevant for where we are? Are they accountable enough? And the new parties that are formed, I mean, are they useful? Are they relevant? Are they fit for purpose mm. for what people want? My sense is, and again, of course, <laughs> anecdotal because we haven't done the surveys and so on, is that one big reason why people are also staying away is there's not enough parties fit for purpose. Absolutely. I think that's absolutely right. And when there's so much wrong in the incumbent party, that's in government nationally it's there to be taken there's a gap waiting to be filled out to meet the needs of voters william have a beautiful festive break i hope you're going to have one uh, we're all going to need the break to come back with energies to dissect the state capture commission's report in <laughs> january and then we'll have lots 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 more to deep dive into besides the dull january the 8th statement uh, that we will be getting thanks for coming so onto the platform i really appreciate it thank you for inviting me all the best to you also have a good good break and stay healthy stay safe thanks william